Good morning, Twitter. I'm Saeed Jones. He is Isaac Fitzgerald. It is Monday for some reason. And you're watching AM to DM. Did you see the Daily Beast tweet over the weekend? Because, yikes. Yikes. An off-duty Border Patrol agent was reportedly ordered to pay $220,000 in restitution on Friday after he accidentally started a 47,000-acre wildfire at he and his wife's gender reveal party. Okay, so this mm. is from a story originally from uh, like the Arizona Star based in Tucson. Um, but I want to say shout out to this Daily Beast tweet. Mm -hmm. Because this is a tweet that reminds us why 280 characters is, is useful. Honey, every word in that. A lot of information. There's just so much. Where do we begin? And it keeps, you know? it keeps building. How do we? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a place to begin. Okay. Cancel gender reveal parties. Yes. Here's the thing. I saw a lot of people tweeting when this, this went out. They said, let's leave gender reveal parties in the past. We can't leave them in the past, ladies and gentlemen, because they didn't exist in the past. <laughs> gender reveal parties are from like 20... 12, yeah. all right? This is something that we have made into a thing, not okay. we, but like this yeah. generation, mm -hmm. and we can stop it. Oh my God, so it's like literally when people are like, Valentine's Day was created by the companies to yeah. da da da. This is it, Pinterest and Instagram <laughs> created gender real parties. Yeah, they're just really bad, it's dumb, and I just, uh, you know this. But also, I mean, let's, let's look at the numbers mm. on this. Uh, mm. Dennis Dickey, 37 years old, so he has to pay a uh, $220,000 in restitution because this fire, I mean, first of all, 47,000 acres of damage. Like, one fire can, you know, go that far. And also, I mean, 800 firefighters had to work. Mm -hmm. It took a week for them to put it out. Incredibly, no one was injured. No buildings were destroyed. Like, wow. Um, but it caused $8.2 million in damage. Yeah, I want to be very clear. No buildings were damaged. No people were hurt. No people were hurt. Great. But the trees are pissed. Yes. Yeah, so I'm sorry. 47,000 acres is a lot. I mean, it's like, okay, great. Everybody save all the man-made stuff. That's a lot of fire. Yeah. Just to tell if you've got a baby boy or a baby girl, got so some pink smoke or some blue smoke. I'm sorry. I'm very upset. Also, fireworks and like explosives getting bad rap. That's Safety true. first. All right? If you do it right. The Lorax is out of a job. <laughs> also, your dumb ass could obsess about your child's gender, which, you know, it's a construct, dummy. Ah, God. There's so many reasons. I Hated so much. Just, <laughs> seriously, guys, it's a new thing. Yeah. We can just let it go. It could be like a phase. Right. It could be like one of those, like, yeah. like an 80s, oh, 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 stuffy shoulder pads. We're just going to move on past <laughs> that. Let's just move on past oh, gender reveal. And he's an off border, off duty border patrol. <laughs> I'm sorry, this whole story I'm reads like a 2018 <laughs> Mad Libs. It's so like bad. got everything in it. It's, I'm 2018, it's coming for us, y'all. Mm. Well, here's some tweets. Uh, shout out to this one from Meredith. Is it a boy? Is it a girl? No, it is a fire. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, I love it. I love it. I also want to know when the baby was born. Like, was it a fire sign? Oh. Wild idea here from Monica. A gender reveal party where you go to the doctor and they tell you and your partner the sex of the baby after an ultrasound. Yeah. Look at that. Ugh. That's all, Oof. that's all it has to be. Yeah. If you want to have another party for your baby, Babies get lots of birthdays. By all means. They get showers. Have at it. There's a lot of ways to celebrate. Have at them. it, have at it. Princess Leia says, hey, let's not shade Valentine's Day. It's my favorite holiday. Okay, my I, I apologize to Valentine's Day. We'll make a little but room But not for the gender reveal part. Yeah, let them go. Well, here's a tweet from journalist John Nichols. 60 minutes. If Brett Kavanaugh is shown to have lied to the committee, nominations over? Jeff Flake, oh yes. Chris Coons, I would think so. 
Brett Kavanaugh lied to the committee repeatedly. This is not an unresolved or debatable point. Yeah, it's all just right there for us to see. Mm. Well, current affairs editor Nathan J. Robinson certainly agrees with Nichols, stating, I have closely examined Brett Kavanaugh's testimony. My conclusion is that he is a serial liar who should never serve another day as a judge. Nathan J. Robinson joins us now. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning, nice to be with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You meticulously went over Kavanaugh's testimony in your piece, (laughs) how we know Kavanaugh is lying, but give us the broad strokes. How do we know Kavanaugh is lying? Well, so Kavanaugh took an oath, right? He's testifying before the Senate. And uh, there are a number of big lies and small lies. Some of the big lies are the fact that he went before the Senate and he said that his calendar from 1982 didn't show any dates where he was meeting with a group of people that Christine Ford said were present uh, at the time she was assaulted. Well, his calendar actually does have such an event. And in fact, he tried to direct the Senate's attention away from that by saying, well, you should only look at the weekends. You shouldn't look at the weekdays. Um, He also misrepresented what witnesses said. He said that uh, all of the people she says were there say it didn't happen. That wasn't true. In fact, one of them even says she believes Dr. Ford, which is the opposite of saying that it didn't happen. And then there were a bunch of lies about alcohol and drinking, where, and these were just egregious, and everyone who knew him at the time, or, or a lot of people who knew him at the time, contradict this. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, I, I was I was uh, struck by your strong words because you, of course, say not only should he not uh, be elevated to the Supreme Court, he yeah. shouldn't be working as a judge at all, which, you know, some people might go, whoa, isn't that going too far? What would you say to them? Well, I mean, the thing is, I think it's so obvious. I, I don't see how you can argue with it because... It's, a, it's an oath. He takes an oath as he goes before the Senate to tell the truth. And it's a felony punishable by up to five years in prison if you lie to Congress. And you can't have judges who don't take oaths seriously. That's a huge part of the job. So if people conclude that he lied, then they have to also conclude that he shouldn't be a judge at all. And I think the evidence that he lied is clear. Hmm. All right. Now, let me ask you this, because this uh, I'm, I'm no legal expert. Um, you just said that if he lied under oath, he could be uh, up to five years in jail time. How does perjury work? What's the difference between lying under oath, perjury, kind of refuting or like deflecting? Well, it varies. I mean, but these things, you know, things that go to a jury are often kind of subjective standards. And, that, you know, these things are not always terribly clear. Um, you know, you don't even have to get into really the definition of whether it, whether deflection counts, because in this case, you actually have the misstatement of obvious facts and things that he, he knows. Um, but yeah, there are probably deceptions that, that are not quite lies that could rise to the level. Um, but I mean, it is difficult to obtain a perjury conviction. I mean, I, I think it would be difficult in this case. I think the really unquestionable thing um, is, that, is that he needs to be impeached and removed from office. And that, that doesn't require him to be convicted of perjury. Um, what would you say to people who say, okay, yeah, he misrepresented or lied about some small details, but actually in the bigger scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It seems like a lot of people are already yeah. beginning to downplay the, the obvious um, misrepresentations. 
Yeah, the thing is that it, they look like small details, but they're actually not small details at all because they're like, well, why are you dwelling on his yearbook or if he drank in college? And actually, it's because he made it an issue. One of his big defenses in his testimony was he said, you shouldn't believe Christy Blasey Ford, you should believe me because I wasn't that person. That wasn't me. You examine my record, examine my character. And so when he tries to deflect attention away from um, the, you know, the calendars, the incriminating parts of the calendars, um, when he lies about his consumption of alcohol, that's actually very relevant. All three of the sexual assault allegations, uh, sexual misconduct allegations against Brett Kavanaugh uh, alleged that he was under the heavy influence of alcohol. So if he lies about alcohol, that actually affects the credibility of him as he rebuts the allegations. All right, Nathan, I want to ask for, for your opinion here. How significant is it what Flake said on 60 Minutes last night when he said that if Kavanaugh was lying, he shouldn't get the confirmation? Well, I think anyone can say that. The question is whether Flake's actually going to go through with it or whether he's going to do what he usually does, which is Flake, right? <laughs> he often promises a lot of things and then doesn't deliver. So I, I'm waiting to see if the evidence gets in front of him, whether he will follow through on that promise, um, I, I would think that any honest senator would have to, but, but you know, honest senator is kind of a contradiction in terms, so. Actions speak louder than words. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Nathan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And a very spiffy suit. Yeah. It's very nice. Uh, well, before we go along, I also wanted to highlight this visual from Vox Data reporter Alvin Chang. It was tweeted out by Paulo Channing. A lot of you have been discussing it this morning. This is a brilliant use of graphics. I agree, Paul. Um, so what we're seeing right here is basically we were able to see every question in pink. This isn't a gender reveal party sign, y'all. Uh, that Kavanaugh did not answer. And yeah. then, of course, you see that. Obviously, Ford answered every question that was asked of her. So just, it underscores just like another echo throughout all this. I mean, I think it's something we all knew, but just seeing it laid out like that, pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. Is it a boy, is it a girl? It's a lie. Okay. <laughs> Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News. Find it the theme this <laughs> morning. We're going to find it and stick with it. Uh, BuzzFeed News had this to say about Elon Musk. He has settled with the SEC over his tweet, claiming he planned to take Tesla private at $420 a share. He will pay a $20 million fine and resign as the company's chairman, but remain CEO. Our next guest, Ryan Mack, had this to say, SEC should have made Musk and Tesla pay $42.0 just to be on brand. Is that a weed joke? That is a weed joke, oh, my okay. friend. Here's my problem. All right, before we get into all this, I'm ready for Elon Musk to be the next Spider-Man villain. All right, I'm, I feel like we are really playing with fire out here. I could see him just, like, building himself a super suit. Uh, you I mean, he's got the face for it. <laughs> BuzzFeed News reporter Ryan Mack joins us now from San Francisco. Ryan, good morning. Mm. How's it going, guys? We're doing, well, I don't know how we're doing, but we're here, baby. <laughs> All right, let's start here. How could a tweet get Elon Musk in trouble? So he tweeted this back in August, I think August 7th, and he said he was thinking about taking the company private at $420. Um, and the stock ended up rocketing on, on that news. He said he had funding secured to do that deal. And it essentially looked like he was manipula manipulating the stock. So a lot of people bought into that, to that piece of news. It actually wasn't true. And so the SEC moved to actually file a suit against him. Wow, that's wild. Uh, just real quick, what's the difference between CEO and chairman? Because mm. that feels like a little bit of a like, oh, we're... Sounds like musical chairs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The distinction is, I mean, the, the board is essentially the, the CEO's boss, someone to look over the CEO and 
and monitor and him and, and or her and make sure that they're doing the best job for shareholders. Um, but yeah, this it, it does seem like a little bit of a slap on the wrist. The SEC decided that eliminating Musk from the CEO and chairman position would probably destroy the company and and ruin Tesla. And you can tell by the the way the stock's reacting this morning, it's up actually more than 17%. Oh, that's so interesting. So like part of what they're having to do, the SEC, is that they're, they obviously, uh, they don't, they want to de-incentivize this kind of behavior from people like Elon Musk, but they also have to protect the shareholders. So they don't want to like totally devastate the company. In a way, and, and this, this company is quite odd. I mean, it, Tesla is, is so connected to Elon Musk. They're so tight at the hip that it's not like you could bring in another CEO. There's a pretty big cult of CEO around this, this individual. And essentially the, the SEC is saying, if we were to remove Elon from the CEO position, Tesla would probably go to zero. Hmm. Uh, is this like a slap on the wrist? Like, does the money go back to the, the shareholders? Is it put in like a, a fund to pay for wildfires in the future? <laughs> it goes to paying off for more gender reveal parties. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, oh, wow. Okay, okay. Sound man's feeling punchy this morning. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a slap on the wrist. I mean, $20 million, he's a billionaire multi-times multi over. Um, it goes into the SEC. Um, Tesla also has to pay twenty million, so the the fine is about forty million total. And um, yeah, it's it's more of a slap on the wrist than anything. Okay, well, interesting. Still, well, it's worth slap on the wrist makes me feel team. better yeah. because that means he won't become the next Spider-Man villain. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, uh, all right. Well, Ryan, as always, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. All right, listen, let's take it to the timeline. Twitter, if you could find someone for a tweet, imagine having that power, who would it be and what tweet? Let us know using the hashtag AM to Kanye. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Kanye. Is that, would just, that be it for you? I, I'm just, I'm so tired. Y'all know I've been tired. I have every version of his names and his new names muted and all kinds of topics and filters and da 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 da. And tweets from him just keep. I just hate it. I hate that it's it's not even, because I think like even when you're trolling, it's like, well, we can still like assume there's like some kind of conversation that we can pull and make use of it. I'm mm. just like, you're an idiot. You don't even know what the 13th Amendment did. Like, I just, <laughs> I hate him so much. I like the idea that you like had all the mutes set up, yes. but you were just settling in to watch Saturday Night Live this weekend. <laughs> like you were all cozy. And then you're like, ah, damn it. Ah, damn it. Oh. Yeah, Wasn't man. he wearing the hat? He Oh, he was, buddy. And he made a big old speech about it. I just, you know, you know, shit's bad when Lana Del Rey is having to call people out on Instagram. That was, That's an, when you that was an amazing that. moment for sure. I feel bad for the guy. There's a guy that has at YE and he's just like, he's having one of those moments on Twitter where he's like, guys, this is not, oh man, why did I get dragged oh, into man. this? Is there yeah. anyone you would find for that? I would just double find Kanye. Okay. Well, he deserves <laughs> it. Well, um, up next, Isaac sits down with Tom Morello. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. And there's a interview with Steve Aoki, but up next, it's Fire Tweets. All right. Yeah, that's exciting. Fire! Fire! All right, we got a tweet here from Softy38. My theory is, and I'm guessing we're talking about Kanye here, mm. is he changed his name because a lot of us had his name muted. Mm. Ooh. Elon Musk isn't that far behind, um, but yeah, that's <laughs> the, a good theory. The old workaround. I like your take, Softy. Um, <laughs> this tweet from Miss Jonesy is funny. Uh, the sound of Isaac Fitzgerald's voice uh, is making me happy I have chicken soup at home. Ooh. <laughs> 
Yeah, if you want to share something, you let me know. I'll send you my address. Oh. Yeah, I woke up this morning feeling a little, listen, it's autumn. You were like fighting it on Friday too. I was fighting it yeah. a little bit on Friday. I spent the whole weekend doing my best to, to kind of, I drank a lot of OJ, mm. drank a lot of tea, did a lot of fluids, didn't move around a lot, tried not to talk. Yeah. Yet here we are. No, my, me, it's just, it's the news. It's America, guys. I won't even pretend. I got to the end of the week. I, I you know, was like happy. It's the weekend. I went to brunch with a friend and we were talking about the news and I just burst into tears and yeah. I just like just exhausted myself. So here we are. I think everybody is a little sick. Everybody <sighs> is a little tired. Some of us are both. Mood. Let's get into these fire tweets. It's all right. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This first one comes from Rhea. Me. Hi, J.K. Rowling. Hedwig was a Nigerian woman of color. <laughs> yeah, because she. Yeah. Has there ever been a fiction writer who's mm. done this like retro? I mean, fitting? George Lucas comes to mind, but it wasn't doing as much as J.K. Rowling. This just doing. so it is a whole. It's just like, girl, what? It feels like something, and also yeah. it feels like it's something that she does on Twitter, but doesn't always make it into the stories. Mm -hmm. And then when but it does make it into the stories, girl? yeah. All right. Anyways, yeah. here we go. <laughs> Daniel, you tweeted, "It was a graveyard smash." Me explaining to the cops what teens did to my wife's tombstone. Oh my, oh my God. God. I'm sorry, this makes me, I mean, I, I'm, Daniel, I'm sorry about your wife's tombstone, of course, but no, it was a graveyard smash, monster mash. Oh, okay. I am so excited. Yeah. My, everybody's favorite season is yeah, fall. And if it's, great. it's not, you're wrong. That's but <laughs> my favorite genre of meme mm -hmm. is spooky memes. I think spooky memes are the absolute best. Okay. And I'm so excited. All the dancing skeletons. That's true. All the pumpkins. Yeah. That weatherman doing his crazy thing. <laughs> I'm very into it. He's, I believe it. Do you like spooky memes? I don't like spooky memes, but I do love autumn. Yeah? I like fall. Yeah? Sweatshirt it's, season? That's great. Huh? Sweatshirt season? Sweatshirt. Oh, yeah. This is very comfortable. <laughs> it has an S on it. Okay. W. Kamau Bell. Oh, it's another Kanye tweet. Damn it. <laughs> Kanye West is like if a Saturday afternoon barbershop argument came to life in the body of one person. <laughs> just, that's all it is. That's, we can just keep it going. Yeah, all right. That's, I, <laughs> nailed it, nailed it. Paul Ford, you tweeted, when the moon hits your knees and you mispronounce trees, sycamore. Wow. Or sycamore, you know. Uh, it helps if you read it. It's beautiful. <laughs> I know it's, it brought you a lot of joy. It's weird, the voice when I sing is it's fine. It's the whole thing. It's fine. It's the whole thing. I'll just sing the rest of the you show. You are on a vocal journey today. It's um, true. The tweet of the day comes from Robbie Slowick. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson angrily walking out of a star's <laughs> <laughs> Which, any day now, you know he just goes, oh, well, let me tell you why fall and spooky memes are actually unscientific. He I guarantee wait. you he's going to see this tweet and uh -huh. he's thinking of something. He can't, he, that man has never seen joy. He couldn't find a way to I will say this. Fact check. A Star is Born is something I am very much looking forward to this week. About that. that is getting And I think through. Venom comes out the same day. Ooh. It's like all of my different gay lifestyle things are being lit up. Little, little double <laughs> little feature. Tom Hardy, a little you on Friday. It's good. All right. Well, listen, up next, we're going live from the district. Stay <laughs> tuned. Uh, talking about spooky stuff. <laughs> Welcome back. Okay, we're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News Capitol Hill reporter Paul McLeod. Paul, good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Here's a tweet from Dan Bobkoff. I'd like to commission a Baroque painting. 
And I mean, same. Yeah. Uh, and I even saw some people like put like it through like the, oh, the, the filter. filter. Yeah, the little art filter. I so let me ask, Paul, what would you title the Jeff Flake Baroque painting? Yeah, I love that shot. Uh, I'd like to come up with something flowery and poetic and classical sounding, but every time I look at the faces of the other Republicans, I just think it should be called WTF Jeff, because they are so clearly unhappy with how things are going. I feel like that would hold up like a hundred years from now. I could yeah. see that being the title of a... a... Yeah, I feel like that's, he's been getting a lot of that lately. Well, <laughs> let's talk about what happened on Friday. You, Paul, were in the Senate Judiciary Committee room waiting for the vote to happen. Yes. Uh, we followed along, uh, passionately glued really to your live tweets. What was it like being in the room in person? Uh, you know, it reminded me a lot of when Obamacare repeal went down, because uh, like that time, we thought we knew how things were going to go. Jeff Flake, before the hearing started, had announced publicly that he was going to support Brett Kavanaugh. So we thought that the, the drama was done. And then, you know, things are going along. People are giving speeches. Flake doesn't give a speech. And then he leaves the room. And Democrats are leaving. And everyone's coming and going. And it just, this growing sense that, wait a minute, wait a minute, something is up here. Uh, something is not going according to plan is exactly what we felt uh, when we saw famously John McCain ultimately do the thumbs down and kill Obamacare repeal. So uh, it certainly kind of had echoes of that to me. Uh, it just was really confusion. I mean, all the reporters in the room, everyone in the room had no idea what was going on until ultimately, of course, Jeff Flake came out and announced that he wanted an investigation. All right, so what did that moment represent in terms of Flake's leverage on the vote? Mm. Well, at that point, it was interesting because at that point, he, in theory, didn't have the power to call in the FBI. He is just one senator. The White House has to do that. But the margin is so thin for Republicans that even just one Republican senator calling on this uh, has a lot of weight, has a lot of power. And of course, we saw some other Republican senators jump on board as soon as he threw that out there. And Mitch McConnell, Donald Trump, they had no choice, essentially. Jeff Flake had to be given this FBI investigation. This is something that the Republicans up top, like um, Trump's team, wanted to avoid. You never know what's going to happen when you get the FBI looking into things. That is a, a lot of X factors that you've just opened up. So they really didn't want this to happen. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you need Jeff Flake's vote. They didn't have any choice. Mm. Softy 38 says Paul McLeod was in the room where it happened, mm -hmm. indeed. Um, I did want to ask you, before we start talking about the FBI investigation itself, listen, two things happened that morning that I've still been trying to make sense of before we get to the vote, which is Jeff Flake, uh, you know, initially saying, yes, he is going to vote uh, to support Kavanaugh. That happened right before Friday's show started. Um, and then, of course, there was that moment where those two women confronted him in the elevator. And, of course, we're all rightfully talking about it. It was stunning. Do we have any sense of, like, did the elevator moment maybe have something to do with him changing his mind? Do we know what happened that went from, I'm voting yes, to, wait a minute, I want an investigation? We asked him that, actually, uh, afterwards. Was it those two women who were, who were yelling at him in the elevator? And he, he didn't really say no, but he said, look, it wasn't any one thing. It was a combination of factors, and it was just, like, his stepping back and looking at the process. But, I mean, yeah, it's hard not to draw a line there, right? I mean, like, the, the look on his face when he was in that elevator was the same look that he had in that committee room. I mean, he just looked sick. He just looked just broken down. And uh, he has not confirmed this. But, I, I mean, you, clearly there was a turnaround on Friday morning. And I would be surprised if that confrontation was not at least one factor in what in, went into this, uh, this sort of crisis, internal crisis with Jeff Flake that had him uh, change course. 
All right, uh, Paul, I wanted to ask you, what do you make of Flake's comments on 60 Minutes last night? Yeah, so it's interesting because Flake is essentially saying, that, I mean, he's done this a couple times. He initially said, if you believe Christian Blasey Ford, then you can't confirm Kavanaugh. But then that kind of shifted where Republicans are not saying they don't believe her. They're just saying there's not enough evidence. So he's now saying that if Kavanaugh has been shown, is shown to be lying, the FBI exposed that he was lying, then he can't be confirmed. But I think that we need to throw in some conditions here because there are different degrees of lying. I mean, most obviously, what few people seem to find credible is Kavanaugh's assertion that he's never drank to the point of not being able to remember things, uh, some of the explanations for his yearbook posts. So if he's found to be lying about that, if he's found that he has gotten blackout drunk a few times, is that going to be disqualifying for Jeff Flake? Personally, I don't think so. He's saying it is, but personally, I mean, this is a guy who is a conservative senator. He says that he wants he wants to be able to support Kavanaugh. He just wants to do diligence done. I think the only thing that's going to really bring down this nomination is if we find that there, uh, Kavanaugh was lying in any way about the experiences with some of the women who have accused him of sexual harassment and sexual assault. I think it would need to be tied to that to really bring down this nomination. Mm. All right. Well, here's a tweet from Brianna Sachs. The FBI spoke with Debbie Ramirez, who has also accused Kavanaugh of sexual misconduct on Sunday. A source close to the investigation confirmed. She gave investigators a list of witnesses who she say saw the Supreme Court nominee expose himself to her at a party. Paul, along with Ramirez, who else is the FBI planning on interviewing for their investigation? Yeah, this is a really interesting question because there's been some conflicting reports about whether or not the FBI is just going to be looking into Ford's allegations or, of course, there are the other two women who have made allegations against him. Uh, despite what the, the you know different words about whether they will or will not be looking into uh, the other women, the bottom line is it's up to the FBI. Jeff Flake told us that his understanding is that, I mean, the direction of the FBI is they are supposed to look into credible allegations. And if the FBI deems that either of the other two women's allegations are credible, as they clearly do already with Ramirez, then they will be looking into it. So this could be quite an expansive upper, uh, investigation. I realize it's only one week, but the FBI has a lot of resources. It's a massive bureau, uh, so they can get a lot done in one week, and there could be a lot of people interviewed. Fair. But also, who are they not interviewing? Because I've seen some headlines about that that has seemed interesting. Well, I mean, the, yeah, the question is, is Julie Swetnick going to be interviewed or not? Uh, her lawyer, Michael Avenetti, had been uh, very publicly saying that they had not been contacted yet. And that, I mean, that is something I, I assume the FBI will get around to doing because it will be sort of a, a black mark on the investigation if they don't look into all three of the public accusers. Uh, but certainly uh, her lawyer making a lot of noise already about them not talking to his client. Alrighty. Well, here's a tweet from the president. Congratulations to Mexico and Canada, which like, welcome to fall. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> if like me, you were wondering what the hell the president was talking about. It turns out NAFTA was actually revamped last night. It's got a new name, a new look. So welcome to, I guess, the era of the USMCA. It really rolls off the tongue. It really does roll off the tongue. Paul, what do we know about this new agreement? Yeah, so details are just starting to come out. I wish they had kept the old acronym because, I mean, NAFTA is so much easier to say. Uh, it looks like this is somewhere between a whole new trade deal and a few tweaks. It's, it's certainly the, the, the skeleton of NAFTA, but there are some significant changes that have been made, things like uh, uh, 
changes to auto sector, rules of origin, uh, the drug companies, this is going to shock you guys, drug companies made out very well in this. The U.S. fought for and won an extended uh, copyright uh, time period in Canada, something Canada had been pushing back against. Uh, there's some like agricultural stuff, so it's a it's a significant shakeup. But this is not going to be something that is as earth shattering as NAFTA, which really transformed transformed the North American economy. It's good, it's a much much smaller uh, disruption than that. Okay, so may I ask what what made um, the parties involved agree? I mean, certainly the relationship between Trump and Justin Trudeau has not been great for the last few months. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of domestic politics uh, came into play. I mean, in Mexico, you had this whole situation with an outgoing president, and then they're going to have to start fresh if, if it's dragged on too long. In Canada, I mean, the Canadian dollar was really suffering because of all of this uncertainty. So there was a, a large impetus for Justin Trudeau just to get a deal done, even if it meant making a few more concessions, because, I mean, already we've seen that the Canadian dollar is rebounding, and we're going to, in theory, see more investment in the Canadian economy. I mean, at a certain point, having that chaos hanging over your country is bad for business, and I think everyone just wanted to get something done, even if they didn't all get what they wanted, uh, just so they can put this in the rearview mirror. All right, Paul, um, I wanted to ask, what you mentioned pharmaceuticals, but what other industries are going to be affected by this? And also, like, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for you as a citizen of Canada? How, how's the everyday person oh, going to be affected? Look at that, levels. <laughs> my my read on this, and this is very, I mean, this was only last night that this started to come out, but uh, my sort of amateur read on this is it, it's not really going to affect American consumers as much, I don't think. It's more American businesses that will be affected. They'll have increased access to Canadian markets. On the flip side, Canadian consumers, I mean, you're going to see uh, some, in terms of things like dairy products, uh, that is going to hurt if you are a Canadian producer, but actual everyday people are going to see some prices brought down and new products entered into the market. So for, for the average American, you're probably, unless you're actually in one of these industries like dairy or uh, pharmaceuticals uh, or even uh, uh, car manufacturing, you're probably not going to see a huge difference in your life. This is sort of at the t a higher up level. Uh, for, Cana for Canadians and Mexicans, you are, uh, the average consumer is going, to see, uh, is going to see some difference in the prices of the things that they're paying for. Hmm. All right. Well, as always, Paul, thank you for joining us this morning. See you later, guys. Have a good one. Care. Look, we're all just like, yeah, we're yeah. <laughs> Monday. <laughs> Up next, you'll see my sit-down interview with DJ Steve Aoki. He is so lovely. He's a lovely person. Aww. Really delighted. <laughs> I want to talk to him again. Anyway, stay tuned. <laughs> All right, friends, this is The Sit Down, and I'm here with Steve Aoki, the Grammy-nominated, multi-platinum-selling DJ and producer behind some of your favorite hits, some of your favorite bops. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. All I'm right. good. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool to be here with you. Uh, you've gotten to work with so many people that were all just like, how does this this union happen? Like, be somebody. You've got Nikki Romero and Kiara. Um, and so just to be nosy, <laughs> how, do you, how do you choose who you work with on specific tracks? Um, I mean, it's all case by case. It's mm -hmm. like, uh, the, like for me, I like to work outside the box. I like to work in different genres. Um, I like to challenge myself and surprise myself on who I can work with. Okay. And um, whenever I do something, you know, like a curveball mm -hmm. move, it's always, you know, for me, at least for me, it's more creative. Um, and, and it's led to like, you know, some of the, my, my favorite songs I've ever produced. Really, like the so, unexpected choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, to that point, like who's someone that we might not expect, but you would love to collaborate with? That I would love to collaborate with? Um, Elon Musk. 
tell me everything. <laughs> I mean, I, Go on. I mean, I would love to. I would love to have him in the studio with me and like make some music. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's not necessarily about like, you know. I just need like ideas. I need creative mm. flow. I need energy, and then we kind of like vibe vibe off that. You know, um, and I've I've done songs with non-musicians. Like I did a, I did a song with J.J. Abrams. Oh wow! Yeah, it's on Neon Future Two. Okay. Um, what did you do? Did he like speak and it became a sample? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, at the end of the day, it's really just him talking, and mm -hmm. I made like the soundscape under his voice. Okay. But that's a collaboration. That's you pretty know? cool. So, um, and I like to think like that. So I did a, I, I did a song with a scientist, hmm. Ray Kurzweil, to. You know, I, you know, it would be great to do a song, be, you know, be influenced or work with someone outside of music, mm -hmm. you know, as well as obviously in music too, you okay. know, which is, those songs are the ones that really permeate culture at right. the end of the day. Those are the songs that kind of push the needle. But. Okay, well, well, now I'm looking for the Michelle Obama, Steve Aoki <laughs> that would collabo. Be awesome. I like be, it. Barack, I mean, <laughs> Barack, I mean, he might have some time. To yeah, I'm sure they can cancel you in. Yeah. So you're a pretty yeah. big deal. Um, so you have a lot of world Guinness records. I think this is so neat. So um, you set the record for the longest scream achieved <laughs> by a crowd, yeah. like a barbaric yacht, but that was yeah. at one of your shows in LA. That was with Kid Cudi. He, okay. he, he was very instrumental in helping get that to the finish line where okay. we can get the, that, the that's, that's commitment. That's so commitment. me and Cuddy were, he was on the, I was on the left side, he was on the right side. Mm -hmm. And we had to have everyone yell without clapping, without whistling, without stomping. No banging around. Yeah, because the minute like the adjudicator from Guinness Book of World Records mm -hmm. on the stage hears claps or like whistling or anything else, it's, it's done. Huh. So it's like uh, it's like you forget after like however long it was like after like forty five seconds, mm -hmm. people forget that they can't whistle or right. clap because you naturally yeah begin yeah right to... you naturally do something that you uh -huh. do in a moment like that, and yeah when, once we broke the record like someone clapped I'm like oh we could have gone like a minute longer but you know. We broke a record and we're like, all right, cool. I love yeah. it. High crap. Well, the other thing, one of our producers here, Mackenzie Marshall, we love her. She went to one of your shows with Kendrick um, and she said, described it literally as, and I quote, the littest thing she's ever <laughs> been to. So, you know, I had to pass Pretty that awesome. along. <laughs> yeah, so I, I did want to ask, like, how do you keep the, the energy during your set so high? Like, you're literally sucking records with it. Yeah, um, I, it's uh, it's honestly it's the music and the crowd, the, the combination of those two things together. If there's a good sync between the music connecting with the crowd, okay. then it's a game of tennis. It's like the crowd gives me energy, I give uh -huh. it back to them, and we just keep playing back and forth from each other. But you know, I've I've played all kinds of parties. You know, I've uh -huh. like you know the parties that I that I'm blessed and grateful to play now. The the, the shows and the fans that I have now uh, make it easy for me to really give that energy. Uh -huh. But sometimes in the beginning, you know, I'll be playing at like a uh, like a private cocktail style okay. party uh -huh. where people like they just they don't even know where I am. Uh -huh. Like in the beginning, I'll be oh, like in the back see. corner. I'm like, uh -huh. hey guys, I'm over here, <laughs> and uh, and then they're just carrying on conversation like it's background music, and that's kind of tough. Yeah. If if I had to do that for you can't up play until tennis point, if they don't even know. Yeah, where you right, are. right, right. So it's like a different. I, I'm I'm lucky that I get the feedback. I'm I'm yearning for the feedback, and I always say it's like. The best example I can give is like, uh, you know, the whole process for making music mm -hmm. is like being like a chef in the kitchen. Mm. But this time, there's a lot of producers that make music that don't get a chance to DJ or perform their music out okay. to the world, right? Mm -hmm. 
I get, I'm the lucky guy that gets to be the chef that comes out to watch everyone eat my food. Okay. And I get to see the reaction. I get to like be part of the, you know, how they like it, how they, you know, what, mm -hmm. what, they, what kind of experience they're, get, they're getting from it. And so I get to see that. I want to be a part of that interaction. And so that, that kind of uh, moment is mm -hmm. very, very important to me. And that's what keeps my energy going that's at what the end of the day. Going. Something I'm curious, with, with DJs like you, um, Calvin Harris, uh, Diplo, who are traveling all over the world, and it seems like night after night, huge crowds, you know, things that for most of us would be like a once in a year kind of night. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're doing it constantly. And you seem like you're having fun, but I'm always like, is it like a party for you or is it work? Like, what are you doing, I guess, before and after, you know, those huge, crazy sets? Yeah, so it takes time to get to this point where you have to understand what works and what doesn't work, mm -hmm. what's toxic to you, what's, what's like, uh, what's gonna support this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, because in the beginning it's like, whoa, this is crazy, this is fun. You're drinking, you're part of like, you're like the, you're you're the fan too, right? Because you're just like totally in the zone, mm -hmm. and and then, I think just in just in just the, the natural uh, progress or process of going through the motions, you realize what's going to work for you to get through the next day, but you count not just the next day, you're counting 200 days later, mm -hmm. or years later. Mm -hmm. And so once I got to that point, then I started taking on certain things and started looking at, at myself like an athlete. Okay. You know, like with an athlete, you don't, if you're a pitcher, you're not going to just go into a game and start pitching and throwing fastballs. You have to go and warm your arm up. You have to be like uh, practicing. So I, I have to treat my body. I have to treat my voice. I have to treat my mind um, like an athlete would do. Some people like ride it hard, ride it fast and they're out. Right. And some people, the, the, the marathon runners, right. you know, in, in, that, in that way, those are the ones that can ride, out, ride it out. If you make really good music, you have to really think about longevity. Right. So you can come do those collaborations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, clearly you're there and you've, you've thought about this, yeah. right? Um, and so you also hold the record, uh, the world record for being the most traveled musician in a single calendar year. Um, and so what we did was that we uh, went through your Instagram, you've been everywhere, um, and we wanted to play a round of where in the world was or is Steve Aoki. Okay, let's see if my memory will work. Literally good, good. So we have it right here on the, this confidence monitor right now. Um, and I'm gonna show you a picture, okay. um, and we wanna see if you can remember okay. Where this is very good for me. Uh, my oh, I, it like, sounds like a challenge. Yeah, you might. I, I love I love stuff like this. Okay, perfect. All right, so let's bring up the first one. Let's see. Okay, is that oh, Japan, okay. Indonesia, or India? Oh, okay, Japan, Indonesia, or India? Mm -hmm. That is Indonesia with designer, and it's an easy one because outside of the U.S., we mm -hmm. did a U.S. tour. We've only played in Indonesia outside of a, uh, a North America and Canada. Mm -hmm. So, wow. Yeah, that's an easy one. You for got me. it. And I remember wearing that shirt and that shirt in, right. in the Indonesia festival. I feel like you're going to do pretty good at this. Yeah, I got this. All right, here's another one. Um, is this Romania, France, or Germany? Uh, it's easy as Romania at the um, Untold Festival. What's and the giveaway for you there? How did you it, know? It's with Black Eyed Peas and okay. this was the first I mean, this this is a really big moment because, first of all, Untold Festival, if you, have, if you don't know about it, is one of the best festivals in the world. Okay. Best fans, and just absolutely devoted, passionate fans. 
And me and Will I Am, my very first single I've ever put out in the world was with Will I Am. Oh, okay. And we performed it. It took us like it was ten years since we performed it last time. Wow. And we re I released that song ten years ago. I'm in the house, so we got to do that together live in Romania to an awesome. That's crowd. something you'd remember. I yeah, get it. Of course. I get it. I gotta check out Romania. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, here's another one. Uh, is this Malaysia, the Philippines, or China? What's going on? That okay. So that is, and I, you know, it's like the crowd is uh -huh. very hard to see, but I can see a sign that says Steve Aoki. So the question is. China or where? China, the Philippines, or Malaysia? Um, I'm gonna say China. You're right. You're yeah. really good. I'm gonna good say at China this. because the sign looks like I know it's just like the Steve Aoki logo, mm -hmm. but like in China, they have very, very like you know they like come up with these big signs. It's not mm -hmm. really like hand drawn, oh, okay. printed, and. They go all out. They go all out. Chinese fans are also very passionate fans. I love it. Okay, let's do one more. Um, you can keep going all day long. I, I am loving this. I'm loving this. Is this the Netherlands, Jordan, or Armenia? Netherlands, Jordan, or Armenia. Okay, so that is, okay, the Ferris wheel. Um, See, I would have guessed Coachella with the Ferris wheel. The Ferris wheel, I, I think, well, well, I think traveled it's the Netherlands. Netherlands, you were right. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I've never been to Jordan, so. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you what I've learned from this game. Um, you are, you're talking the talk and walking the walk because the attention you've noticed, right? Like the fans in, in China, like this is the kinds of signs or, yeah. oh my gosh, Will I Am, like this was a 10 year memory. Yeah. I see you were absolutely present and you know when you're engaging with people, and so I see why you have this huge following. This is really special. Yeah, yeah, presence is everything. You yeah. know, I mean, if you're just like kind of aloof and daydreaming mm -hmm. all the time. Well, it, I love it. Yeah, I love it, yeah. Steve. Right. Thank you so much you for joining yeah, us. Uh, his new single, "Be Somebody," is out now. Get into this guy because he's into y'all. He yeah. loves y'all. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's get, let's get into it. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. Thank you right. so much, oh, yeah. Steve. Really awesome. fun. I love it. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with singer, songwriter, and all-around music legend, Tom Morello. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Tom. How are you doing this morning? I'm very well, thank you. And you were just telling Glad me, because we were just watching that Steve Aoki, Aoki yes. interview. Yeah. You collaborate with him on your new album. That's correct, yeah. I've got a new record out called The Atlas Underground, uh -huh. on October 12th, and it's uh, I had the bold ambition on this record to forge a new genre of music. Oh, so wow. Something that uh, combines the Marshall Stack rock and roll fury that I'm known for, mm -hmm. and huge EDM drops, and some of the uh, electronic components of 2018. And what was it like uh, working with Aoki? Yeah, he's, uh, uh, well, I didn't know that he was, he began his career throwing uh, punk rock house parties. Oh, uh, very cool. And he was a big fan of my previous band Rage Against the Machine, mm. so we got along famously, and I heard in his music and some of the other collaborators like Knife Party, Bass Nectar, Pretty Lights, that they have some of the same tension and release and power in their music, and my notion was if we replace some of their synthesizers with my electric guitar, we might be onto something fresh. And, and did it work? Well, the sonic conspiracy is upon you. <laughs> I love it. Now, let, but let's talk about it. You just mentioned Rage Against the Machine, yeah. also Audio Slave, sure. right? You're known for so many projects. Yeah. What's it like to have this solo album where you're yeah. still collaborating a lot, but what's it like to really yeah. be the guidance of the vision? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, on this record, I'm, I'm a songwriter, I'm a guitarist, I'm also the curator. And I had this vision to make a record that really, in some ways, was the Hendrix of now with mm. three important components. Um, one is that it had to have otherworldly guitar play. Mm. Two, 
like Hendrix, in a way, was a Trojan horse for the electric guitar in that he had great guitar playing, but it was songs that were also on the radio and that were mm. relatable to a wider audience. And three, his the, the milieu in which he worked was blues rock. Well, now it's a world of... Uh, electronic beat. So I wanted to, without compromising one inch on either the rock and roll or the politics, mm -hmm. I wanted to make a record that uh, was for 2018. All right, do you think rock and roll is as political as it used to be? You just brought up Hendrix, Rage Against the Machine, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, my rock and roll is as political as it's always been, and that's really the only rock and roll I need to worry about. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, I would, I, the, the, an artist has one and only one responsibility, and that's to be true to yourself and make work that you believe in. Um, so I wouldn't say to other artists who are not political, for my sake, pretend to be. Please don't. Please spare us. Uh, but on the other hand, if you do have convictions about things in the world and you self-censor mm. for commercial reasons, there's a especially hot ring of Dante's Inferno for you. That's like, yeah. that's like yeah. you go to rock and roll hell for that. I think you do, because I don't say you just go to rock and roll hell. I think that if, if, you're, if you are afraid to weave your convictions into your vocation, whatever it is, then perhaps you're not being your truest self. Why has that always been so important to you? Why is the political what, we, what you weave into your vocation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, I began my political education. I was the only black kid in an all-white town, so politics found me on the playground very, very early. Uh, but I've always had the, you know, the, the, the guiding light was to stand up for the poor, stand up for the oppressed, to co constantly fight for a more just and humane world. I didn't choose to be a guitar player. Mm. That chose me. So mm. I'm stuck. So once I'm stuck being a guitar player, I have to find a way to take what it is that I do and let the world know what it is that I think. Yeah, I, I mean, you went to Harvard. Like, you obviously have always been interested in politics. Yeah. Do you think there are other rock bands out there right now, younger rock bands that are carrying the torch, keeping it political? Sure, there, there are a lot of a lot of artists, and some of them are on my record. You know, mm -hmm. the Atlas Underground record, it features Vic Mensa, who's like the uh, uh, rapper, who's like the next generation of revolutionary lyricists. Mm -hmm. um, K-Flay, who's another uh, great rapper. Uh, I love K-Flay. Yeah, K-Flay, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah, from a Chicago, rival <laughs> Chicago suburb. Uh, the Kaylee 47, there's, there's so there is, uh, you know, and then dance music, which tends to be non-political. Mm. I want to take on this record to bring a message both to the mosh pit and to the dance floor. Mm. All right. Let me ask, is there any significance to the title? The Atlas Underground. Well, yeah. Atlas, of course, is the mythical figure who carried the weight of the world on his shoulders. And uh, the Underground is a clandestine organization bent on mischief and other stuff we probably shouldn't mention or the FBI will come after me. <laughs> All right, you're like keeping that under my hat <laughs> yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're talking music, we're talking politics. We gotta talk SNL this weekend. Sure. Kanye was on there and he was wearing a Make America Great Again hat and subsequently going on a pro-Trump rant. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I have some experience. My band Rage Against the Machine was booted off of SNL mm -hmm. you know, 20 years ago for making a political statement. First of all, when it comes to the First Amendment, like, you're either for it or you're against it. Uh, and so I'm 100% for it, so people should be able to express themselves uh, you know, in whatever they want, in whatever, whatever it means. I don't agree with his particular brand of politics, but they're his. But they are his. I want to bring that up. I want to talk about you getting kicked off SNL as well. After claims that NBC silenced Kanye after his speech was cut short, Josh Billinson tweeted, and we've got the tweet, we'll bring it up. If you want to talk about SNL silencing musicians, talk about the time they kicked Rage Against the Machine out of the building before they could even play their second song because they tried to hang a flag upside down. You couldn't even play your second song. What was that moment like for you? Now, there was a bit of an incident backstage, which is not not reported there, which is may, may have been the trigger for us being kicked out of the building. Oh. But we did a, we did a Steve Forbes, the at the time had just been a presidential candidate. He was the host, and while he was a very poor actor, it was a very combustive uh, uh, environment. And we came out, we played our song "Bulls on Parade." There was a bit of a fracas, and we were 
escorted down to the sidewalk, but our record still went to number one. So it still did go to number one. And Steve Forbes did not become president, so it was <laughs> cool. You feel like around. you won that All the way one. around, yeah, yeah. Were you ever invited back to SNL? I haven't been yet, but I look forward to on this You, you would do yeah. it. You yeah, would yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. do it again. All right. Um, do you ever worry about alienating fans? Um, you, you were just talking about First Amendment, everybody has the right to yeah, say what they want, yeah. but you very much lean to one side of the political Well, I'd say if, if you're making music that everyone can agree on, then you're probably making pretty crappy music. Mm. That's the way I look at it. And, mm. you know, like, and I've, you know, I, I'm not going to ever censor who I am or what I do to try to please an uh, audience constituency. Uh, that's just not, I, I mean, I made the decision long ago that I was going to believe in every word and every note on every record that I made. And that's certainly the case with this Atlas Underground record. Do you remember that moment? Do you, like, what, yeah. have you ever yeah. been tempted? Uh, no, I, no I, when, I, when I first moved to Hollywood, uh, I was in a band before Rage Against the Machine that got signed to a label. And we did everything everybody told us. Because we thought, well, this is how you make records. And they must know better than we do. And we were summarily dropped. I had my grab at the brass ring, and I missed it. Mm. And so I thought, well, if I'm not going to be a rock star, I'm not going to be able to make albums, I'm at least going to be honest in the music that I make. And that's when Rage Against the Machine formed. And do you think? There's a lesson in that, by the way. I was going to say, what, and what do you yeah. think that lesson is? I mean, the, less, the lesson is that rather than trying to chase trends or chase the radio or, uh, um, or listen to people surrounding you, listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if I had, if Rage had never, you know, if we had never heard of Rage Against the Machine, mm -hmm. I would have been very, very satisfied because I was absolutely true to myself in what I was doing and the thing that I was most passionate about. And that has been a thread that's been entirely through my entire career. When I, with Rage Against the Machine, with Audio Slave, with The Night Watchman, when I played with Bruce Springsteen, mm -hmm. and now on this Atlas Underground record, it's really, this is in some ways a culmination of all of that. Mm -hmm. Taking the, the experience of, and the chemistry you get with excellent collaborators, but with a singular artistic vision that is absolutely authentic and uncompromised. And uncompromising, is, is that where you find your satisfaction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I gotta look at myself in the mirror. Yeah. Amen. Well, thank you so much for the album. It's hey, absolutely fantastic. Thanks very much. Really appreciate you coming on the show. The Atlas Underground is available on Friday, October 12th. You definitely wanna give it a lesson. listen. More AM to DM up next. Amanda has New York Times critic wrote, I went to as many Instagrammable museums, factories, and mansions as I could. They nearly broke me. Well, thankfully, Amanda made it through because she joins me now to talk about her experience with all of these different Instagram experiences. Amanda, thank you for your service, for going to all of these and reporting back. You're very welcome. So for those of us who may not know about this phenomenon, it's something that has really kind of blown up in the past few years. Can you talk about the Instagram museum, museum phenomenon? Yeah, so um, if you've ever like waited in a line, that's what these places feel like. It's like you wait in a line to go to a place that also feels like waiting in a line. Like there might be like, it might feel like a line for Disneyland rides. Like there'll be like big fake rocks and like an orb and you can take your photo in front of them. Um, but even though they're often called experiences, like not much happens there. So we have things like the Museum of Ice Cream, the Rosé Mansion, and we see all of these things on social media, but what actually happens there? You mentioned standing in line. Is that pretty much it, or? Yeah, it's like standing in line to take your photo. Um, one of the interesting things about these places is that they're, they're often made by marketers. So it's almost as if they exist to market themselves. So you might see a bunch of photos of people who look like they're having a really good time on social media, and that will draw you to these places so that you can then 
take a photo of yourself smiling and draw your friend to those places. Um, but they don't really have to uh, provide like an actually good experience because they are pop-up museums. They're only around for a month or two and they don't expect that anyone will ever have to like come back. Your piece was so interesting because you talked about how obviously at a normal museum or say an experience like going to the Grand Canyon or going on vacation, you're having all of these experiences and then you take photos of it. And a lot of times we feel like the photo cannot capture the brilliance of what we were doing. Mm. But you said at th these quote unquote museums, it's pretty much the opposite where it looks a lot better on Instagram than it actually is in real life. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so these places look like bad. Usually, when you go to them, uh, when I went to Candytopia, it starts out with a big taxi cab that's covered in like gummy yellow candies that are all melting off because it was like 90 degrees outside when I was going to these places. Um, but when you put this stuff, when you stand in front of it and, and take a photo, it looks like really nice and cool. Um, they're all just made to be shrunken down into an Instagram grid. Whereas like something that's like actually grand, like the Grand Canyon, it like kind of looks like it doesn't look as good in a photo because you're experiencing something that like it, that goes beyond the way that it looks, you know? Um, which is nice. Um, if you go to a museum, you often see like people looking at, like taking in art and they don't necessarily look like they're having a good time. Like they just look blank because they're thinking. Mm -hmm. um, at these places, uh, people look like they're having a really good time, but they're not really doing anything. But it's so empty. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your overall, you went to a bunch of these this summer, what was your overall feeling after all of this? Because it sounds kind of depressing and empty. Is yeah. that what we should expect from our world now where Instagram rules all? I mean, I felt like I was in hell, uh, but I do think that like life, that it can get better. I felt actually a duty as a millennial to, to say, these are defining my generation, but we don't all like this. Um, and you don't have to make these for us and you can give us something better and we're complicated people. Um, so I think we might be seeing like the bottom of the barrel, but um, like art that tries to engage with the public and become something that people who like Instagram want to um, identify with and go to, like that, I think that can be really good. Like I think art should be accessible. It's just that this stuff is accessible, but it's not art. Totally. It's just stuff. Well. Yeah, I mean, it's just stuff. It's all appearances. I mean, that's kind of Instagram in a nutshell. <laughs> well, Amanda, I really appreciate you going and reporting back on all of this stuff. Up next, Isaac and Saeed read your tweets. Welcome back. Uh, Meg Betts, you tweeted, Tom Morello is exactly what I needed today. Yeah. Girl, same. Comforting guy. He got me fired up. <laughs> He might have fixed my voice a little bit. I'm ready to start to learn how to play an instrument. Oh, you're back to you're back to full decibels. Take on the world. Okay, he was great. He really was. I love it when somebody comes in with high energy and you can tell that they're passionate about the project that they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, and all the people he collaborates on on the album are fantastic and the tracks are really good. You should cool. definitely, I think he accomplished the goal he set out to do. I like it. Well, I'm here with our producer, Mary, who's just like, I, I don't know, he's invited to the cookout. <laughs> he's down, I'm here for it. I love it. Well, we want to get into some of these tweets. Let's do it. While discussing the gender reveal party that ended in a wildfire, Miss Baptiste replied, people have over-the-top gender reveal parties for they destined to be 
mediocre ass kids. <laughs> also, I like Kirsten's name has been like promoted from Kirsten Baptiste to Miss Baptiste. Miss Baptiste, she's grown <laughs> up. Yeah, man. I, I, mm. it can't, it's not good. It's just. It's not good. They should listen, reverse you, it. I'm the person that's always like, let people have their thing. No, man, I am strictly anti-gender reveal party. All that's being revealed by a gender reveal par- uh, party is that this kid is about to have two really shitty parents. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just like, oh, we know what's been revealed. Yeah, misogyny. <laughs> the patriarchy. Anyway, we're just not here for it. We won't pretend. Uh, we also asked who you would find on Twitter for crazy tweets, and mm. obviously, like, we should just like find Kanye until he just gives up. But here's what you had to say, Jen. I would find people for dropping thirst tweets when it's a drought out here. <laughs> Come on, let people have a have a selfie or two. Come it's like on. Noah Centineo, I've had it. Wow. <laughs> <up. laughs> it is a harsh you Monday. That shit elsewhere. Damn. All right. Oh, all right. Man. Listen, during Saeed sit down with Steve Aoki. Uh, Jay uh, DeGarrison said. Steve Aoki has a good memory. It's truly stunning. That was impressive. Yeah. And I, and I think because I had some more that we didn't have time and I showed it and he, he got them all. Like he He's like, yeah, I'm on top of this. <laughs> yeah. That was, nice it, guy. It was really fantastic. Lovely. You see yeah. why I was like, oh, he's really sweet. Great. We had a very anti-gender reveal pro-music episode of AM to DM this oh, okay. morning. okay. I was like, I don't, where are we? Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, there. I'm yeah. there. I like it. We like it. We stand. All right, well, thank you to all of our guests and, of course, all of you for joining us today. Tom Morello, Amanda Hess, Steve Aoki, Paul McLeod, Ryan Mack, Nathan Robinson, and Stephanie McNeil. Listen, we will see you back here tomorrow, 10 a.m. It'll be Tuesday, which is at least better than Monday. <laughs> Something. Something. <laughs>